There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow podcaster. True nobility is being superior to your previous episodes. Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns, where today we're going to be looking at Kingsman, The Secret Service, in anticipation of Kingsman, The Golden Circle. The first film went down very well with critics and audiences alike when it was first released a few years ago, but will Calvin, Allen, and Sol think of it as... dope? Well, keep listening to find out. This podcast contains spoilers for... Kingsman, The Secret Service. Enjoy! Hello, today we're going to be talking about Kingsman, The Secret Service. I'm Calvin, codenamed Sol, and with me are Alan, codenamed <laughs> Calvin. <laughs> Hello. And Sol, codenamed Alan. It's, it's going to get oh, very confusing. Oh, it's me, Sol, codenamed Alan, from Barnsley. How do you do? I'm a perfect gentleman. <laughs> Yes, that that's a little joke about the code names that are in Kingsman. I might be way off base here, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a prediction at your two opinions. Okay. okay. I think Calvin absolutely fucking loves it, thinks it's like just an amazing, hilarious throwback to his favourite films. Another triumph for Matthew Vaughan. And I think Alan thinks it's a load of puerile shallow, insipid nonsense with a troubling political agenda that he's going to use to prop up his opinions. <laughs> Is that uh, you You're right with me. Um, no, not particularly with me, I'm afraid. Uh-huh. No. Oh, okay. no, not particularly. Uh, I mean, if anything, it's a, pro- a political it? agenda that he'll agree with, surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, we'll come into that. <laughs> but, um well, do, are we getting into it? How are we going to do this sort of? Well, uh, overview first. Yeah, should we, I mean, should we talk about how we came to it? Did any of us see? Obviously, we're we're looking at it now because the sequel is due to be released very soon, um, Kingsman: The Golden Circle. Uh, but the original film, the first film rather, was released in 2014, and it was based on uh, a, a comic, James I Bond. believe. Uh, well, it was. What? It was based on a comic by Mark Millar. Is it Millar or Miller? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know if Millar is a particularly unusual pronunciation of how it's spelled. It's got an A. <laughs> if it was Miller, it would have an E. It probably is Millar now. I don't know. I've, I've, I've never heard it said. It just amuses me. If, if listeners know, send us a video or audio file, rather, of you saying the name. Anyway, yes, it was based on a... I don't want to say comic. I, I think it's... I believe the term is graphic novel. It's uh, the same fucking thing. Were, were, Come on. Were, were either of you aware of that before the film was released? Did either of you see the film when um, it was released uh, first? I was, I was aware that they were basically trying to repeat Kick-Ass with a new... Uh, graphic novel, the the same team of people, and it was doing a James Bond thing rather than a superhero thing. But that's kind of the extent of my knowledge, really. Uh, I remember when it came out, I saw all the trailers. Um, I was never that bothered about seeing it, really. I just thought, like, eh, whatever, and just never really got around to it. I saw it at the cinema. Oh, did you? 
Yeah, I saw it at the cinema. That's unlike it, you. It was well. It was. It was one of those things that it came out and like I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't like where it knew where it came from or anything. But then I saw a trailer for it or like heard good things about it. So I was like, eh, I'll go see that. It was just I, like I, you know when you, you we were going to the cinema. It was like, what do you want to see? Okay, that's on. It wasn't like a great like a real destination film, but it yeah. was just like, oh, that'll be all right. That's exactly how um, I came to it. I think I only saw it because my sister was quite keen to see it, so we went together. And uh, oh yeah, I, I wasn't hyped for it. I, I was kind of like, okay, well... That does surprise me. It's because... Uh, because of its Bond connections. Yeah, I mean, there, there are Bond connections, but there are so many films out there. Like, any, any spy film. Like, they did it with... Um, what was that Man from Uncle film a couple of years ago with Henry Cavill in it? Like... The yeah, man but the from difference Uncle. is... The man from Uncle, you, yeah, but the Man uh, from Uncle is based on The Man from Uncle. Yeah, 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 I, which, I get which, you know, <laughs> so, But this is very much of self-conscious, you know, not quite a... Well, actually, but well, basically, this is my first point that I want to raise. It's very difficult to tell exactly wh- where this film is pitched. It's mm. it's very kind of self consciously ridiculous at times. Mm. It's knowingly parodying you, you Bond is the obvious one, but also other things. But it never quite goes to spoof territory. It still maintains mm. a sincerity about it. It sort of works within <sighs> its own rules, mm. and it's. I think like, it does go it into spoof to... territory, but it, it's Quite just the end. a tonal, <laughs> a bit of a tonal mess. Yeah. Um, well, I, and don't, I, I agree I with it... what you're saying. I, I wasn't entirely sure how the whole thing was pitched. Um, and it's part of, you know, one minute it's light and fun, one minute it's hyper-violent, one minute it's, you know, this kind of nod and a wink, one minute it's a legitimate attempt to revitalise a... a sort of old genre that's been left behind it it yeah it, i i never really knew what it was meant to be mm. um for the but most even part. within even within its own story as well you've got this kind of very old-fashioned setup with the gentleman spy and then this kind of the young uh you know scally urban lad who yeah. gets drawn into it so even within the film itself they're clashing the old-fashioned and the and the new mm. and but then they're also doing that by using these, you know, now fairly old-fashioned sort of James Bond-type things, but then modernising them. And, mm. uh, I'm not I'm not sure it quite all worked, and there's definitely a couple mm. of elements that really jump out as not working. But mm. generally speaking, I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and it's very, watch, it's very watchable. Mm. Um, as a general feeling, then, how did you guys take it? Did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, I, I loved it for all the reasons that Sol outlined. I think it's a really nice throwback to... If they were still making the kind of Roger Moore, James Bond-type adventures today, it probably wouldn't look too dissimilar to this. Uh, I, I obviously like all the James Bond... You know, uh, it doesn't really spoof it so much as it lovingly homages in places and comments on it. And uh, Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. it I think it, it's a, a great film. It is a full-blown comedy, though. I suppose it's kind. It's more akin to something like Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, which aren't spoofs so much yeah. as they're comedies that happen to be set within the same. That's a really good genre. Yeah, I think this is to James Bond what probably Shaun of the Dead is to I don't know George A. Romero. Romero. Yeah. Romero. Although I, Romero. I, 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 Sorry, I is that like self reference to your earlier joke? I, no, that, that was a genuine. <laughs> I just can't joke. pronounce anything today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. But I, I, I do feel like. That that might sound like we're giving it too much praise because I don't think it's that good. Uh, <laughs> you don't think it's as good as the James Bond films that you don't like? No, it's not as good as Shaun of the Dead. Oh right, um, 
you you're saying that as a zombie fan, like knowing the the mm, little I think uh, gags. I think Shaun of the Dead. Not to get ahead of our Shaun of the Dead episode, but I think Shaun of the Dead is about as perfectly written a screenplay as you'll mm. find. A yeah, masterfully I, directed, uh, brilliantly crafted film, just to, on pretty much every regard. Kingsman is a fucking mess, frankly. I I, I, oh. I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I did like the film, but um, it's not without some serious flaws. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think it is one of those films that is enjoyable enough that you can kind of look over the cracks. Yeah, Whereas exactly. if you get the film, which perhaps is what happened with Kick-Ass, with me, if you just don't quite like the film enough, you start to pick up all those cracks and go, hey, mm. look at this, look at this. Yeah. Whereas in this one, you go, oh, it's okay, you know. It's, uh. Yeah, and when I was watching the film, I, I, I was seeing all these cracks and thinking like, I was very aware that I could really go either way with it, to be honest, and there were things that were bugging me that, could really wind me up and I wouldn't enjoy it if I focused on them but but for the most part it's it's a really solid entertaining bit of fun um but you do kind of have to well I guess it's the cliche isn't it you have to kind of turn your brain off and Uh, check your brain in at the door and all that uh, maybe I I I don't know should we get into it and go through it My, my first note actually is I, I had no idea going in that Samuel L. Jackson was into it. Oh, really? Don't quite know how that had passed me by. So that was yeah, a nice no, surprise. he's he's a huge reason of why I love this. And apparently, he we talks in interviews about he took the part because he was like he always wanted to play a Bond villain, but he's the the kind of actor that he is. He's probably never actually going to be in a Bond film, given the kind of people mm-hmm. that they go for now. So he was like, well, this is my only opportunity, really. And I think he is. He plays it as a Bond villain, and I think he's kind of brilliant. He's comedic. He's more comedic than a Bond villain oh, yeah. would ever normally be. Like he's very squeamish about seeing violence and blood and all that kind of stuff. Which yeah, uh, that that's something that wound me up because that like th- th- they set that up, and the second you see it. Like it's the second they set that up, you go right. That's coming back in the final act as a gag where someone stabs him or he sees someone. You know that's that's going to pay off as a joke. But I thought it was going to come back more than once at the end. It and does. It never, it's like, is it? Yeah, when, well, when's it, it alluded it's to again? It's like when he. I'm going ahead again here, but when he shoots um, Colin Firth in the head and he like. He, you know, oh yeah, sort of like people don't yeah, it comes, comes back a few times, yeah. yeah, and then when he actually dies, yeah, when he sees yeah, the violence set up inflicted on him himself, he vomits vomit after and, he yeah, and that's dies. the that's it, the payoff. Yeah. They do give him just enough sort of character. He's like a he's like a very nouveau riche, and that clashes with this kind of old mm. gentleman sort of style that he's he's part of their like lifestyle now. Mm. Um, and he does this weird lisp thing. Is obviously just <laughs> something he wanted to try. <laughs> uh, but it just gives it a lot. Of, it does give him a lot of character. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, but we've jumped forward a bit here because he's not introduced. Uh, we have a prequel, a pre, a prelude rather. In the opening, we basically see a raid in the Middle East where agents are being, we assume, trained at this point, and one of them dies uh, we, uh, under Colin Firth's tenure, uh, and he therefore fails the application process to become a Kingsman. And uh, Colin Firth feels guilty about this, so he goes to the guy's widow and tries to give her this little, what is it, a pin? Get out of jail free card. Basically, Basically, yeah. It's basically a little medal, and it has a number on it, and he's like, if ever you're in trouble, call this. She doesn't want to know anything about it, so he gives it to the young lad, who must be about two years old or whatever. 
Uh, is that a one-use only deal? It seems to be, yeah. Um, and and, and I, I don't know if... It's later used the main character, Eggsy, the young boy who gets it, uses it to get out of jail free, quite literally. I wonder if it's sort of like, if you wanted to have someone killed, could you call that number and be like... <laughs> well, that's it. it, it I, I didn't really like that, because it just... It, it seemed kind of absurd that... Eggsy would make it to that point in his life where he was that willing to, you know, steal a police car, among other things. Not No, not a police car, sorry. Um, steal someone else's car and then go on a police chase in reverse and what have you. Uh, and and, and, he, and he's never tried to use that number before. It mm. just seemed a bit... Because we are introduced to Eggsy and his mum apparently falls in hard times and she's in an abusive three-way relationship um an early yeah. scene implies and he, he's a chav i want to say is that fair? yeah yeah he, he is yeah he is the stereotypical chav character or rather he comes from a cartoonish depiction of well, the one of, one of my notes here was um the depiction of the working classes in this film is exactly how i think working class people are in calvin's head this is what Calvin imagines kind of... London is like in those inner city areas. It, it isn't. This, <laughs> this is one of the things that sort of bothered me about the film. It's it's very much a film that tries to have its own, tries to have its cake and eat it at the same time. Mm. It reminded me of Shallow Hal, if you've ever seen that, where <laughs> yeah. the whole film is this idea that uh, Jack Black has a spell put on him that means he can only see people's inner beauty. And he ends up falling in love with a, a, a morbidly obese woman, but he sees her as uh, the the ridiculously thin Gwyneth Paltrow uh, rather than Gwyneth Paltrow in a fat suit. But along the way, the film's just 90 minutes of fat jokes. So <laughs> that completely undermines its message, not to mention that their depiction of inner beauty is as skinny, thin people who are traditionally beautiful and therefore... They are reaffirming the idea of traditional beauty. Like it, mm. nothing about the film really works, despite its best intentions. And there's a lot of that same thing in Kingsman, where they're clearly trying um, to well, the, to say something about you know the the, the Eggsy's uh, uh, got pure. He's pure of heart, and he rises above it. But mm. the the rest of the working class in this film are ludicrously cartoonishly uh, portrayed. You know, his, his mates are alright um, and we are supposed to like his mum. She makes bad decisions but I, you know. Uh, certainly when they start yeah. out in the prequel, they seem quite middle class and it seems to be that the death of the father did that to his mum and she sort of Yeah, again, that's... Exactly. They're, she's not real working class. She They're demonising the working class by making them into this hell they, that the mother they, they, falls the, work, the working class is what happens to middle class people if you go off the rails. Well, that's... they demonise the upper class <laughs> later on in the film. My God, I mean, the... Well, they, they demonise... Like, they kind of... Uh, they try yeah. to do everything, aren't they? They demonise environmentalists, but... Uh, middle class is safe. We're, yeah. we're all safe, chaps. <laughs> anyway, but I, I think this class thing is very much is it's an overt theme in the film, mm. um, and I think it, it's it's best exemplified by the prejudice, I suppose, that Colin Firth's character receives when he wants to try and recruit Eggsy into yes. the Kingsman. Michael Caine's the head of this organization, and he's really unhappy about mm. it. He's very finger waggy, you know. No, he's not one of us, and all this kind of. It seems like a very posh boys' club, really. Mm-hmm. You you know that scene in the police station. I'm just thinking about mm. what didn't work for me there. What what I needed there from a writing point of view to buy that he would use that 
amulet or whatever with the phone number on it is like i just needed like a prompt if, if you're meant to buy that he's never tried using this thing before or maybe he has and it's never worked or something it, it, like he needs to see a a symbol on the wall mm. or something or even even if the prompt if the to, if the policeman had gone, oh, you're going to go to jail unless you've got a very powerful friend who know who can do you a favor. Yeah, like just, as a kind of throwaway jokey line, and yeah. then he's like, oh, hang on, no, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, something like that. Yeah, mm. I agree, and for, for such a crucial because it's that moment that gets Eggsy and Colin Firth's character together, and mm. it's a it's a big moment. But in the middle of all this, we have um, a character played by Mark Hamill. Uh, yes. Who Professor Who James I also had Arndt, no idea was Who apparently from from my very basic research of the graphic novel this character in the com in the graphic novel is called Professor Mark Hamill and they cast <laughs> Mark Hamill in the role but for some reason changed the name like I don't know it, it, I thought it would be too self-conscious if they actually call him. Oh, Mark I thought Hamill. it would have been funny, but he—he's he, <laughs> playing a character. He's doing an accent. I guess he was over in England when they filmed this, probably doing Star Wars or something. Anyway, we quickly find out that the professor Mark Hamill has been kidnapped by uh, Samuel Jackson and his henchwoman Gazelle, who is a young, attractive lady with um, swords for lower legs, which is very much a classic sort of Bond villain type. Uh, 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 yeah, it's quite a cool like henchman. Something weird about them, but they use it. Oh, as a I love kind of it. She's one of my favorite yeah. things in this film, and how she like slices. I mean, some of the violence is ridiculous. In that particular scene, she slices one of the Kingsmen like down the. Oh, Sol's favorite, Jack Davenport. She slices him right oh, down yeah. the middle, and he like flops I was apart like paper. Jack oh, Davenport. is he the, the, is he the guy in Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> yes. You guys hate. So at he was, the beginning, I liked yeah, him. yeah, he was good. He, he turns up at the beginning. I'm like, oh Christ, Jack Davenport's in it, and then they kill him off in the next scene. It's like, all oh, right. Why yes. do you hate Jack Davenport? I quite enjoyed him in this. I thought he was <laughs> he, he was just the right kind of bargain bin Benedict Cumberbatch kind of guy. <laughs> do you not think he? Yeah. Fit I don't the part know why you like him. That's the I mean, it would have been better if they got like a big star who would be killed in the first couple of minutes. But I liked it. I, I thought he was good. No, no, it makes it no, it makes perfect sense, him because it's like who could we get that would have been a really shit Bond? Yeah. Uh, Jack Davenport. But but it's like just close enough to have been contemplated yeah. for Bond, but would have been shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Jack Davenport. Yeah. It was good. I, I liked it. I thought it worked. And and again, like I. I didn't expect him to die. Like he, he was introduced, and I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be some character setting up, you know, a load of stuff in the background throughout, and then he's killed off in like the first two minutes or so, and I thought it worked quite nicely. I really love uh, the. Uh, there's some little details in that scene that I absolutely love. The the main one is the the whiskey that is sort of passed around from character to character because they offer Mark Hamill's character a whiskey and one of the guys goes away and gets it and then he brings it back and through the fight sequence, Jack Davenport manages to get hold of it and then later on Gazelle manages to get hold of it when she's fighting him and then she eventually passes it to Samuel Jackson. I thought that was a really nice uh, nice little directorial flourish. It gives it. It gives it a sort of sense of playfulness mm. to offset this horrific violence. Mm. I, I I bring up the Jack Davenport character specifically because that is his death is what brings about the main event of the story, which is to recruit another Kingsman. Because they're, I guess it's like the double O's where you only go up to nine, and they're only like. Is it so t- they take the name. They take the code name of Lancelot. Yes. Yes. Uh, Wait. Yeah. Double O's only go to to nine. Well, that we know of. Is yeah, officially. otherwise then you're 010. Well, no, do you think it goes 009.1, 009.2? <laughs> 
Probably or not. Just zero one zero. In Thunderball, when they recruit all the double, when they uh, call in all the double O's, there's only nine chairs there. And at least one of them is a woman. <clears throat> like, I'm probably going to rant a bit later on about the lack of good female characters in this film. But uh, <laughs> when they, uh, the all the Kingsmen uh, hologram in to toast to the deceased Lancelot, and they're all men. I uh, thought that was quite... They're all white men of about 37 years old. <laughs> yeah, I wondered if they were going to comment on that at some point. Well, I, but I feel like that was... Well, then, uh, I feel like yeah, that was then the fittingly fact that they, authentic making... for the, yeah, yeah. the Kingsman society, but, they, but... but the film never seems to... I mean, it's it's not... It's not devoid of, you know, it, it certainly doesn't hold the Kingsman up as these wonderful gods, because obviously Michael mm. Caine is revealed to be as good as a villain at the end of the film. Uh, mm. But the, the the problem with it really is, like, Michael Caine's getting sniffy about this working class oik trying to get in, mm. but then there's girl there's there's a girl trying to get in and no one even mentions it. It's yeah. like, this is an old boy's, like, thing, yeah. like... And there's no no black people allowed to apply yeah. or anything like that. Um, so I just thought if you were going to make a point of that, then make a point of it. Mm. You know, just like yeah. men- at least mention, even if it's like a casual kind of throwaway line or something. I think this film's very politically and sociologically, I think it's very confused, to be honest. I think it's quite yeah, schizophrenic and yeah. it, it, it clearly has a lot of... Um, right-wing values in in its skeletal structure but then it, it's kind of trying to say some things that aren't uh compatible with that it's trying to subvert some ideas and you never quite know what what the film's trying to say at the end of it it, it just there's mm. a lot of just weird mixed messages in there mm. but this sort of prompts uh the i guess that all of act two which is uh, Colin Firth wants Eggsy to be one of the Kingsmen, and each uh, one of the Kingsmen nominate a young person, and they go through trials. And it, it's uh, basically Men in Black from this point on, so I quite yeah. enjoyed this bit. <laughs> yeah, this is the tra- the training bit were, were okay, and then and here we get the kind of upper class uh, stereotypes, yeah, which are yeah. equally fatuous, yeah, <laughs> true, and, and yes. just completely ri- and ridiculous as well. They just sort of. They take an instant like dislike to the guy for no obvious reason. Just like posh people, uh, don't don't you see, <laughs> don't you see all those Oxford students like burning money in front of homeless people and those young Tory people on message boards like going on about how to exterminate working class and people well, and chavs and stuff. I think it's quite accurate in some regards. I found it more unrealistic that they all knew to take the dismantle the shower put it in the toilet to breathe when they're underwater like an eggsy didn't this but, yeah in one of the trials where the room fills up with water and they have to it's, it's not it's not like survive. it's it's not like it's portrayed as if one of them happened to know and sort of shared the well, i think that is kind of generally idea he kind of he leads them but th- i find that a lot more realistic than someone managing to punch through a pane of glass underwater yeah that yeah which is, which is basically up. impossible i don't know what that was supposed to mean <laughs> yeah silly like i thought he was going to find some little trick it was like oh the, the trick was going to be just go to the door and open it and it like that's just what i thought when, like, when he said yeah. that, he like, says th- I was, exactly i thought it's going to be the exact before, same thing yeah. from men in black the, the the fantastic scene in men in black when um they're all trying to fill out those the forms and they haven't got anything to write on and everyone's struggling to to write on these forms without a surface and then will smith just gets up and pulls this 
table excruciatingly across the floor from the other side of the room <laughs> to write on and it's it shows that he's you know he's willing to think outside the box and blah 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 but it's uh, not but like what the what the message of that should be is like like sometimes common sense is what you need and and like he may not be like really well educated exactly. in the in the sort of spy world but he's got brains mm. whereas what it, it actually that... what it actually the message is and what this kind of carries on throughout the film is if you can punch it you'll be all right <laughs> if, as long as you yeah. can punch hard enough you'll win exactly yeah. which is that's what the film comes down and, to. and again that's exactly what i'm saying with this film having weird mixed messages that don't quite feel as if it knows what it's trying to say because that that scene would be so much better if he had just gone and opened the door and that was the end of it and everyone else had like rigged up some weird thing with the shower Anyway, um, we have been introduced at this point to Mark Strong's character with yes. the worst accent I've heard in a <laughs> long while. It's very <laughs> curious, isn't it? And inconsistent. A, now, t- what? Touch of Scottish, that's all. Yeah, mm. a bit, bit Scottish, bit American. I think it's meant to be Scottish, but what? why did they do that? Because I like Mark Strong, and mm, yeah. he, he would have been... There's no reason why he had to do an accent for the character. It doesn't really. Yeah, um, add it's, to show, to it's to show the diversity in the Kingsman. <laughs> the Scot, like he's, he's Scottish. He born, you know, born Scottish, but then like went to university in in, in the England, and so he's, he's, the accent's slipping as he's got older. <laughs> but it's still there. That's that's all. I mean, <laughs> maybe it makes him come across a bit warmer and friendlier. And if he did it in his kind of normal way of speaking he'd just be a bit too menacing uh, uh, possibly yeah because he's supposed to be he's his character is merlin and he's basically the q of the uh kingsman he's got all the gadgets and computers and figures out what they should do and all that um and then in that fight in the pub we, we've missed the, the oh yes the first big big kind of fight spectacle which is something matthew vaughan revels in oh i um, love that scene it really annoyed me that Colin Firth strikes first. Because, well, Colin Firth just, like, throws a glass at the guy's head. That's yes. the first physical attack. So, But he's not a Han Solo. The whole point of Colin Firth is that he's a gentleman and a perfect gent, and he wouldn't yeah, dare act the- out of line. So he should... Um- he should wait to be attacked. First no, all those before... other men were making fun of him and being very ungentlemanly. They made fun of them. They made fun of him, so he throws a glass at the guy's head. They just <laughs> wouldn't leave it alone. Yeah, some, That's not the behaviour of a perfect Sometimes you've got to make a preemptive strike, though. You know, you've got to take. You can see the situation for what it is. You have to sort it out. Anyway, there's no mention of uh, in the Kingsman that they don't make proactive attacks. They, in fact, they do all the time. So. It seems completely in character. I love that scene. It's because it Eggsy's, um, I guess, stepdad or mum's boyfriend or whatever, and his ruffian mates come to beat him up. And Colin Firth finishes his. Oh no, he doesn't get to finish his pint of Guinness until after the fight. But he's leaving, and then they're very rude to him, and he locks the Guinness pub door as well. And... Yeah, he would drink that. Would he? It's, it's yeah, he's awful, not going to drink awful some kind of shit drink. Guinness. That's a working class drink. Have you Colin seen the price strike? of Guinness? 
<laughs> Foster's is a working class drink, or yeah, that's another another load of awful swill. Colin Firth would drink like fancy scotch on the rocks, and not in a pub like that. No, and he'd have no, he was being he was being a man in a man's pub. Yeah, no, he he wouldn't have drank the kind of scotch you'd get in a pub like that, which would probably be what Jameson's at best. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I I, th- I I really liked that. I really liked that detail. I thought that was actually really nice that he would drink Guinness because that is the kind of thing where yeah, you know what the quality is. It's probably going to be the same there as it would be in any other pub. My my next notes about the dog. I think it's a nice idea. They have to train a dog. Blah blah blah. I hate fucking hate the the test with the dog. Now I don't know if we're getting ahead of the film here. Or if I should just go into it. Yeah, it doesn't make it any doesn't make sense. Any does it doesn't make any sense. That test could... The the test, you, as far as I know, it, it makes just as much sense that you would pass that test by refusing the order and saying, yeah, no, I will not shoot an innocent dog. I kept waiting for them to go, it, ah, you've passed the test. It, yeah. We didn't want you to shoot an innocent dog. Colin Firth even says, when they confront Colin Firth about this later on, when Exy says, I'm not going to shoot a bloody dog, he he says that the Kingsman will never take an innocent life for no reason. Like he, he says something to that yeah. effect. It's like no, the, the he, test yeah, he, is to he tr- yeah. He, he tries to say that as a demonstration of what the test is for. It's like what that doesn't. Does, that's exactly does, the opposite. Exactly. Of what it doesn't take. It doesn't make any sense unless all the dogs are like convict dogs that have committed heinous acts and mauled children that we didn't know about before. They were given to the <laughs> yeah. Kingsman. So that test, like, it just pissed me off because it, it just. It, it makes no sense on any level. Thematically, it makes no sense. Um, logically, it makes, it makes no sense. sense. It's like, yeah, it's supposed to show that they're willing to make any kind of sacrifice. Like, that you have a dog, a lovely little puppy that you raise for months, and then you. It's, it's there, meant there to show that you the point will is follow to show blind that you, orders for no reason. Yes, and that you're isn't... beyond empathy. That you're not going to sort of think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to. But uh, well, if they put empathy ahead of logic, and I'm going to do what is right. For okay, the mission, if they'd uh, said that he... as justification for it, maybe I would have gone with it. But Colin Firth, to justify it, says a I load of bullshit about how they'll never in. take an innocent life, and the Kingsman's this wonderful organization. Well, yeah, I mean, and instead, I mean, they have to say that because after all that we've seen, we still have to like the Kingsman as an organization. Well, I don't. Uh, you know, <laughs> we can't believe that people actually died. It's I... even like in the parachute test. There is parachute test. That's where they they push them all out of a plane and they say one of you doesn't have a parachute. You need to work it out. That's the problem. They do all have parachutes. Exactly, and and that's the problem I have is that we're meant to still like the Kingsman, but I see through the bullshit of this test, and I don't like them after this. I think it's a ridiculously unfair test, and all it is testing is whether or not they've got an army of brain-dead grunts who will do what they're told, which is presumably, like, uh, uh, any army w- has that. Yeah, that, yeah that's but the, trouble, the trouble with that is that the, tr- the training that they've got, that they've had, certainly what we've seen, has not been military training. And 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 the and it seems like the people they've got aren't from military backgrounds. Like for example, that scene in Men in Black is very specifically like, oh, here's the top guy from Navy, here's the top guy from the Marines. Whereas in in this, it's just like, oh, here's some posh twat. Like I know his dad, um, so I've decided to try and recruit him. Uh, but the, why would they have any kind of knowledge that would make them fit for the position? Well, again, it, it works if it's a critique of, you know high society but yeah the uh, kind of old boy network but, of getting you in but the film never quite comes down on either side of that despite 
kind of making fun of the whole thing. It's, it's yeah. <clears throat> oh, and also, by the way, if you shot a dog with a blank, with a blank in the face at point blank, you'd probably kill it anyway. Just for the record, <laughs> so uh, you definitely wouldn't like it. <laughs> I think you'd, you'd certainly blind it if you shot it in the face from a few centimeters away, like he was going to. Um, I thought it'd been good if, if like, he went to shoot it and it was a blank. And then he thinks it's a, a misfire, so he just beats it to death with the, <laughs> with the butt of the gun, <laughs> just to make sure the job's been done. I'm like, yeah. yes, well done, you're a kingsman. <laughs> I, I've made a I've made a note here. Um, so going back to our Resident Evil episode. Um, oh God. <laughs> well, for those who haven't heard it, I hate with a passion the Resident Evil films. I think they're horrendously badly crafted, badly directed, just tacky in how they're put together uh calvin says they are basically good <laughs> good action direction on show good like that's kind of the the you know cool action now for me the benchmark of what cool action is and kind of mindless but good action is what you get in kingsman that is the level okay. that a film should be hitting if it's going to be mindless action because this film has okay. loads of quite inventively choreographed action sequences and fights and stuff but mm. you know it, I, I wasn't blown away by it particularly but like for me this is the well, it, benchmark it, it, that that sort of film should hit if that's what it's going to be mm. and thing is with, with kingsman it, it never goes very big mm. like in compared to say a bond film it obviously hasn't got that budget yeah but so it'll be like, oh, here's a room with some people in, they're going to fight. Or this is going to happen. And it was all very much kind of hand-to-hand combat rather than huge explosions and things like that. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it wasn't small, but it wasn't big either. There's a lot of long takes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think which I think is to make up for the lack of budget, really. Yeah, to try and see more, uh, yeah. Like, this isn't the kind of film I can imagine have, like, James Bond films and those kind of big action films have huge action units yeah. that their sole job is to go and film hours and hours of coverage of cars going at each other and, and whatnot, whereas uh, this film obviously doesn't have that. Um, and, and I think you can really tell, especially at the end, um, in the villain's mountain base that, they're running up and down the same like eighteen feet of set <laughs> yeah. for about five minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really noticeable. Anyway, in the middle of all this training stuff, uh, we get a lot more of Samuel Jackson's character and Colin Firth's investigation. Uh, he finds Mark Hamill, and his head explodes for reasons unknown at that time. Uh, but as the fil- as the film progresses, uh, it becomes clear that Samuel Jackson is giving out free SIM cards to every person on the planet that can get one. Uh, and you can put it in your mobile phone and get free calls, free texts, all this kind of stuff. He's kind of a Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk yeah. kind of character, revolutionary tech, tech guy. Yeah, so the idea is he's... Yeah trying to give something back to the world and you get free internet, free calls, everyone's entitled to one of these sims on his network, you don't have to pay any money. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. Yes. When, um, when Mark Hamill's head blows up, yes. uh, Colin first there, he gets sort of showered in some sort of liquid and uh, falls unconscious. Mm. And then he's in a coma for what, what must be weeks, if not months. Mm. Why? Good question. Both practically in terms of what happened to him in the film, but also structurally in terms of the story that they're trying to tell, the filmmakers have put in together. What mm. was the point of taking him out? Because it doesn't... 
Well, I think if you take him out, you can't have him investigating Samuel Jackson anymore. Uh, and we need to... We need enough time to pass that the dogs are going to grow up and that we can buy the Eggsy and the other recruits have been at this for a while. That's the only reasoning I can really think of. Because if Sam, if Colin Firth is investigating Samuel Jackson for as long as it takes the dogs to go from puppy to full grown, then he's probably not very good at his job. Because he does have, cause we also get a scene with Samuel Jackson and he has like Swedish royalty over, is it? Uh, yeah. He's got a like Swedish a... Swedish sh- prime minister and a Swedish princess. Yeah. Um, and we get the sense... I like that it's dropped in early on that Iggy Azalea has gone missing, and it's sort of peppered in throughout the film that these famous people are going missing or whatever. And yeah, like Samuel that, that reference is, will work in 20 years, won't it? <laughs> Samuel Jackson is recruiting powerful, rich, famous people to... Uh, well, we don't know why just yet, uh, but the <clears> Swedish <throat> Prime Minister is quite easily won over and the princess is captured. It's around about here that we get my probably my favourite scene in the film, which is well, is Colin it the Firth. standout big Mark, uh, Matthew Vaughan action scene? Is the the one you're no 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 no? Oh, no okay. It's the scene between um, Colin Firth and Samuel Jackson when they sit down to dinner oh, and have a classic Bond and the villain I discuss. Hated over this scene. Oh fuck! Off. <laughs> it's so fuck on the fucking off. nose. It's just them going. Oh, have you noticed that uh, we're in a James Bond parody? Oh, uh, actually, yes, I kind of have. So how do you feel about James Bond? Well, actually, I think James Bond's better when it's uh, a bit tongue-in-cheek and silly, because that's what this film is. Oh, yes, yes. I. Oh, God, it was just, it was just the most sub-Tarantino, lazy... <laughs> just... What are you talking about? You, you, you love the Scream series. You love that kind I of like uh, self-referential series. nudging the ribs. We'll be talking about Chucky soon, and there's a lot of that in there, uh, in the later ones. Yeah, That'd well, the Chucky films aren't amazing as much as I have a soft spot for them. And in Scream, <laughs> they never they never stop and go, oh, God, this is, so, this is exactly like that scene in Friday the 13th, where uh, it, it's, it's a bit more like... So in these films, this always happens. So we're in. It, it's a bit more satirical and 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 clever. This is exactly the same as that. This is exactly the same as uh, you know them saying in Scream, "Never say I'll be right back." Uh, never split up, and then they do that. How? What? How is it? Because this. Because they're telling you what the tropes are, and then they're doing it. In in Scream, they cite individual horror films. It's like they've got Halloween playing in the first Scream film, and they're saying, "No, Jamie, look behind you," and all that kind of stuff. And but it, at, at, at the moment when Jamie Kennedy should be looking behind him, I don't think you could get more meta than I, that. I think, Jamie Kennedy saying, "Jamie, look behind you" in a horror film. Well, I think the other thing is that Scream from the start is set up as this weird meta comment on the genre, whereas Kingsman isn't. Kingsman tries to be. A sincere spy movie, and it's only about. No, it doesn't. You said it yourself early on. It's a, no. I it's said it's comedy. all over. Yeah, but it tries to be like a comedy spy movie rather than a weird parody. But then at this point in the film, like halfway through the film, they suddenly go full meta. It. It. If Eggsy had been a film student, like, and had been going on about it from the start. Like, oh, I know how to do... Like, it, it's just the fact that it kind of comes out... Not out of nowhere, but it's... Again, it just added to how tonally inconsistent the film felt. I did like that he served McDonald's. I don't think... <laughs> I love that <laughs> bit as well. Uh, he has those, yeah, McDonald's under the fancy 
Kaloshes? Kalosh? Kalosh. Them, them silver things that food goes in. Uh, anyway, no, I, I love that scene. It's my absolute favourite scene in the film. Uh, and my favourite dialogue is when Samuel Jackson talks about how he always wanted to be James Bond and Colin Firth says he always wanted to be one of the villains. And I think it's really nice. I think you're wrong, Solid. You're wrong. Well, I, I've got a note here that I, I hate this uh, quote, this is just like James Bond dialogue. But I think that's a different scene later on. Uh, is there a point where someone yeah. says this is just like James Bond? Because um, it's after the Freebird sequence in my... Oh, you know what it is? It's it's after the Freebird sequence when uh, it's Colin Firth's final scene. That's when they say goes, it. Oh, yeah, this is... This is ah. the t- this is the point where I explain my plan and you escape. I hated oh, that as well. It's like give the audience oh. some fucking credit. We know what you're doing. You don't have to spell it out for us as you do it. It oh god. That's the whole point, though. It's like, I mean, do you need it to be Austin Powers to buy it as anything other than tonally inconsistent? Like I- Austin Powers. Now there, that's a wonderful, wonderful film. No, it isn't. I mean, it's, it's fine. This is infinitely better. No, what are you talking about? Austin as a Bond Powers spoof, this yeah, is much better. Well, maybe it's more faithful, but as a film, Austin Powers is fucking brilliant. Shall we get to the big um, action sequence, which uh, yes, uh, where Colin Firth's character goes to the it's effectively the Westboro Baptist Church, isn't it, in Kentucky? Here's a, a problem with that, and uh, perhaps it's deliberate because it's a problem that James Bond uh, has as well. Uh, so perhaps this was deliberate by them, but I don't think so. But the fact that, you know, Colin Firth, he needs to go into all sorts of situations, needs to get into the ambassador's party, yeah, get him an ID, we can get him into there. Needs to go to this big fancy shindig in Monaco, yeah, we can get him into that. Needs to go to this little country uh, uh, church in, in the Westboro Baptist Church. Still just in the posh suit. Uh, <laughs> looking so amazingly out of place, it was like it's the same with Bond. He'll go undercover, or like he can he can just sort of like sneak in anywhere as long as he's wearing a tuxedo. Yeah, because they because like, they only deploy TV. Bond to play to his strengths, and they've got different double. They've got they've got the uh, they've got Congo they've got the country bumpkin agent who, well. who's kind of like Crocodile Dundee, and they deploy him to <laughs> Australia and stuff like that to go into you the, got the outback. Sean Bean if you need to deploy him into the north. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, well, how do, how do you two feel about this scene in the Kentucky church? Because this is when we see Samuel Jackson's big villain plan in action, that these SIM cards are going to broadcast a tone that anyone who hears the tone becomes uh, uncontrollably violent. My, my main... Like, I was really thrown when I watched it because Freebird starts to play, which anyone, anyone familiar with that song knows it's a, a, an infamously long song. Uh, and then they they kind of do all the intro and then just skip to the very end for the the action sequence, so it lasts about three minutes. And and I was thinking, like, why would you use Freebird if you didn't just start the song a bit earlier so the whole thing kind of builds and plays? Um, I've since read online that the original cut of that scene was about seven minutes long, so I think that was the intention. And uh, huh. <laughs> I think I've just picked up on the fact that they had to edit it down, which apparently they did oh, because when the director showed it to Matthew Miller, was it, is he? No, Mark Miller. Sorry. Miller. Yeah. When, <laughs> when the director showed it to Mark Miller, he basically said, like, fucking hell, that's a bit violent even for this film. Can we tone it down a oh, bit? Oh, wow. I don't think people hmm. are going to enjoy that 
within the tone of the film as it's been established. I think it's going to be a bit jarring, and hmm. and I'll and I'll say that the 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 the, the neutered cut that we got feels tonally out of place to be honest within the film it feels um it just feels very mean-spirited all of a sudden in a way that the film yeah isn't particularly up until that point it's like they have to put him in the most dreadful place on earth which is yeah. probably the westboro baptist church like you have to have this preacher at the front being racist being homophobic being sexist yeah. being all these dreadful things to justify the level of violence and i think that that annoys me because it's so blatant yeah, it, and that's the obvious thing. yeah and yeah, and, and later on when you see the general public attacking each other, you just see them sort of scuffling and skirmishing, not like stabbing pens through their throat and stuff yeah. like that. And, and you can buy yeah, the it's just like we, Colin Firth's, uh, uh, you know, ridiculously skilled um, combat, you know, combatsman, but mm. all the people he's fighting against are doing quite a good job of holding their own against him for a little bit. So, yeah. Mm. It's a bit silly. <laughs> what I, what I generally didn't like about the scene is that it's like it's supposed to look really cool, and it's like one long take, and mm. then he throws him over here, and then this comes over here. But it all looks so fake, yeah. and like you can see all the fake cuts, yeah. and you can see like most of the background isn't really there, or someone flies across the camera, and like okay, that was an edit, and mm. it just seems so stitched together, and it's like a Frankenstein of a, a scene I, rather than a, a proper long shot. I it agree. Just doesn't yeah. feel natural. It doesn't feel real. And, it's, and it's, if they've done it's like good. a really cool practical long take with good stuntmen and, and cool effects, yeah. and then like a bit of CGI for the blood or whatever, but that's, uh, you know, it would have looked really cool. I agree. And it just, it's, yeah. it's very, you know, it, it, I do think the scene's quite cool and well put together, but to say that is the show-stopping number of the film, it's a shame that, like you say, it just ultimately feels quite cheap. So Colin, Colin Firth walks away, he survives in the melee, walks out the door, and there's Samuel Jackson. Now, I think this is perhaps the reason why I don't like the scene earlier. I think maybe the scene earlier isn't that bad, and it is just this where they outright say, hey, this is just like James Bond. Mm. And now, now, you know what really threw me here? And for the rest of the film, I mean, obviously, the, the big thing is they subvert the... James Bond cliche and just kill instead of you know having Samuel L. Jackson explain his plan and allowing Colin Firth to escape they just shoot him point blank in the head and walk off but I, I I've seen the trailers for Kingsman 2 yeah yeah so going into this film that I was not expecting that and so for the rest of the film I kept uh, just waiting for Colin Firth to pop up with an eye patch on as he appears in the trailers for Kingsman 2, which is a South Park joke, I should add. There have been repeated instances of characters being shot in the head only to return at uh-huh. later episodes with like a little bandage or a plaster on their head. Um, yeah. You know, I would like to know if this was a part of the graphic novel or if it's something that they've just done for the films. Because obviously Colin Firth's character is popular, mm. I suppose, with people who've seen the film and a bit an iconic character in mm. this duology i guess uh but i mean in, in kingsman it makes sense to kill him off because you need to have eggsy complete his hero's journey and have his mentor removed yeah. from the picture so he can go in solo and that's the thing the sequel kind of ruined that for me because it, it, it yeah. they had the balls yeah. to leave him dead for the film and, and kill him off and and follow through on 
the idea of this very, you know, subverting audience expectations thing. And because mm. of the trailers for the sequel, I, I just never bought it. I was like, right, he's going to pop up at the end. He's going to come back. It's going to, and that completely would undermine what mm. they're doing. So yeah. it kind of ruined that for me, which is a shame. It's a, it's a rare instance of a sequel actively harming a mm. film before it, really. Having said that, <laughs> I, I'm not opposed to him coming back in the sequel, and the idea of him coming back with just an eye patch looks like a, uh, well, the kind of humour that I'd like these films to be running on from start to finish. So, mm. Yeah, I'd like to see how they... Um... How they explain it. Let's just talk about um, Samuel Jackson's character at this point, because this is where mm. kind of the full extent of his plan is revealed. Yes. Uh, in that he's decided he needs to kind of cull the population of humans uh, in order to kind of, for the greater good of the planet. Yes. Um, doesn't, he, doesn't make any know, sense? And, um, well, yeah, it does make sense. Uh, How? <laughs> well, the the idea that overpopulation of humans yeah, is it's a problem. It's a, a problem. genuine issue. Yeah, and the 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 it's an issue because it might lead to people dying. So <laughs> well, yeah. The 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 motivation for him is that you know the Earth uh, is uh, is being damaged, like climate change and all. But the thing is, like we're not the climate change isn't a problem for the Earth. It's a problem for the things living yeah. on the Earth. Because the climate will change and other types of life will thrive. Uh, so it doesn't quite make sense. Um, There's easier ways to... I mean, God, if if you're going to get these microchips, like, into every... Like, just can't you just fry their brains like the other chips can do? Like, can you just fry everyone really quickly? Couldn't you? I don't know. Well, no, no, I mean, the, you wouldn't be able to just put it in the... I mean, the thing with the chips is that it's put in your brain if you're part of samuel jackson's selected group of survivors which is mm. mainly rich and famous people then you get it implanted in your head uh whereas the mobile phones are just sim cards that uh, send no, it just waves. it just it, yeah i i i didn't i don't think his plan made much sense uh, to be honest well it's like any bond villains plan doesn't really make all that much sense well most of them well <laughs> But I think the, the the kind of concept is it works. Um, I quite like the idea of you know trying to kill most of the world's population. It's quite a, it's kind of a cool motivation. It's it's, yeah. it's same. It's the same in uh, that last Da Vinci Code film, mm. Inferno. Uh, the bad guy mm. in that was basically trying to call humanity. I mean, it's like Moonraker. The villain. Does I, that. I think it annoys me because I'm to. I'm totally on board with trying to lower the world's population because it's a genuine <laughs> issue that like we're probably going to see the effects of within our lifetime. Um there's better ways to go about it, you know? You you in you incentivize contraception and things like that. You don't uh He doesn't have the time for that. Couldn't he just make... He wants it he, now. He's impatient. He's very rich. and Couldn't he, he just wants his... make a chip that sterilizes everyone with, like, radiation or something? It doesn't take far too long. <laughs> Saying that, cleaning up after everyone's done killing each other would probably take a while. Yeah, and he doesn't want to see any remnants of what's <laughs> Yeah. That's what he's hmm. got his bunker for. Yes. Hmm. Anyway, we get a scene where uh, we find out that Michael Caine is actually in on the whole thing as well. 
Uh, oh yes. For a, for a, a leader leader of a master spy organization, you would think he would uh, have done something about that scar behind his ear that <laughs> obviously indicates that he's had one of the implants put in. One of my favorite lines in the film is, well, yeah, he he, he offers Eggsy a, a poison that was set up earlier that's like um, activated remotely at a time that suits the person that. Uh, feeds it to you know the other person Eggsy does a bit of sleight of hand in a, a really obviously coming gambit where he swaps the drinks <laughs> yeah uh, that is a poor moment and Michael Caine activates the poison within himself but then we get the the wonderful uh, bit of Michael Caine just going full blown <laughs> cockney as he says, <laughs> he says you dirty little fucking prick it's fantastic <laughs> Anyway, we're at the climax of the film now where Eggsy has to get to Samuel Jackson before. I had another problem here as well. Whereas um, the character of Eggsy obviously is supposed to be like this working class, chavvy kind of guy. Um, And he he fits that really well. He plays it really well. The actor's good. Then when he has this big transformation moment where he puts on the the bespoke suit, he's been tailored, made to measure, and he comes out and he's the kind of the grand spy. He just looks like a scally in a suit, like he's on his way to court. And it's it's just like that. I think you you need to be able to play both sides of that um, character, and he just doesn't do the posh very well. He doesn't do the gentleman very well. Yeah, he doesn't look he doesn't look the part. Well, he, he, he never looks comfortable it. in the getup, but he looks like Austin Powers with those. And and that's him. fine because <laughs> that character wouldn't necessarily be comfortable in that getup, except yeah. the film seems to want you to believe that he is at the end of it and that he's adopted to it and he's taken to it like I mm. think he looks very comfortable in it. I think he's mm. yeah. I think he looks great. <laughs> I don't know. It might be the glasses. I think it, yeah, I think it the glasses look great. <laughs> anyway, um so so Samuel L. Jackson triggers the the chips, doesn't he? And everyone goes mad trying to kill everyone around the world and we see Eggsy's mother uh just to give us a little insight into um, the kind of human, you know, because we we can't comprehend carnage on a mass scale. We we can only deal with it on a one on one basis, apparently. What? What are you talking? Yeah, obviously they're gonna give us some like personal uh, investment for Eggsy. Like it's not bad enough that the entire world is gonna kill each other. Like, yeah, of course they're gonna try and make it personal to him, and yeah. that his mum is gonna kill his young baby. Toddler sister. Yeah, I know. why are you getting upset about it? I'm, I'm just explaining. Okay. I'm explaining the mechanics of the screenplay. You, you were explaining it with a certain snideness, <laughs> which I, I did not care for. To the defense of the screenwriters. No, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. I just, I'm just pointing out how it's being put together. Um, okay. So, so do you want to know what my issue is with this scene? Because the scene, it, the scene is they phone up the mum and. They tell her, put the little girl in the bathroom and lock the door and throw away the key so or throw it under so you can't get to her, keep her away from you to keep her safe. And she is remarkably um, on board with this and does exactly as they say immediately without needing to be convinced, really. Uh, <laughs> now, What's uh, your problem, Calvin, what do you Tom? think my problem is? 
Uh, oh, is it that the, the, um, the SIM card isn't affecting the baby? Yes. Why wasn't the little girl <laughs> trying to kill the mum from the other side? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. That would have been pretty funny. She actually. should have, like, <laughs> hacked through the door and done his Johnny and then got, like, a toothbrush <laughs> to the eye from the little girl. <laughs> I agree. I think that would have been brilliant. So there's a lot of action in this end bit. Um, I, I would call it good action, apart from the very obvious set limitations. And the big, the big like palace where Samuel Jackson's leading the party, like that, all looks really cool. Yeah, it does. It's it's a really nice old fashioned old school um, Bond villain lair, uh, and all these rich people. I really wish they'd have gotten some like actual famous people cameos in this <laughs> bit, like because the the idea is that all these celebrities and uh, politicians and whatnot are congregating around here. Uh, well, there's a uh, there's a an analog for Obama in there. It's obviously not oh, yes. him, but I mean, but yeah. I know what you mean. But, it, I mean, it did seem like maybe Iggy Azalea or whatever her name is yes. should have actually turned up at some point. Mm. Like, That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Uh, jo- Joanna Lumley just wandering around. <laughs> I guess it's a, it's a it's it's a hard sell for an actor if it's like you're going to cameo as a and you're playing yourself and basically, but you're, you're just uh, in the background. There's no. Yeah, after having agreed to this plan to murder well, everyone. I'll tell on you the who planet. do it is Charlie any, Sheen. Anyone who would have been. Exactly. Tom Charlie Arnold. Sheen, Paris Hilton. Tom Arnold! Where did you drag him from? <laughs> no, but you know. He, he, he cameoed in that Nightmare on Elm Street film. Is he even Rose a <laughs> Tom Arnold also. Um, wasn't he in that Simpsons episode on the spaceship of awful celebrities who. Is oh, that's space? it! Yes! Yes! That, oh, that must be what made me think of him, yeah! So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like I so said, anyone of that ilk, anyone, like I say, Paris Hilton, the the situation, Mr. Situation, whatever he's called, Snooky, they'd all be there, they'd all be up for that. <laughs> I don't think they'd understand yeah. that it was making fun of them. They'd be willing to have no dialogue and just in the background for an appearance fee. Because, of course, uh, Eggsy and his cohort succeed and the signal is switched off and they do some tech, whatever, to make every chip in every rich person explode. Um, And the explosions aren't blood and guts and bits Mm. of bone. It's sort of puffs of fluorescent coloured smoke. How did you a feel very, about that? Didn't very really strange departure. What the thinking was behind? Yeah, that. it really goes. It, it, I mean, it breaks the fourth wall almost. It's very much yeah. going. Look, okay, we have we have got left reality. We're being silly now. This is a choreographed scene with fireworks and uh, music and like a Busby Berkeley style kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know what it was. What it hoped to achieve with that, I'm not... Mm. And It just completely shifts the tone of the whole film. And it yeah, looked... Yeah, I agree. It, it shifts it in a way that isn't remotely James Bond and doesn't evoke yeah. the old James Bond films. It shifts it in a yes. way that's just weird. And it doesn't look great. It looks very fake and artificial and weird. Mm. So it's... You know, I wouldn't mind that if the joke was good enough, but it just seems a bit, mm. like... I don't really get it. 
So I don't. Really... I think I would have gone with it had it been an obvious like we want it to be a PG thirteen movie. We can't show this kind of violence. Let's just do it yeah. this way. But because they've made a point of showing horrific well, violence, that's it, throughout it's the a film. very violent film in places. Yeah, yeah, and and both in terms of you know showing blood and guts, but also in terms of just how malicious it can be. So yes. yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, all those um, you know when they're being they're running around the two corridors that they've got and they're being chased by the like the goons mm. basically. Yes, that that is classic Bond because they were literally got shot at from three feet away and never got hit. <laughs> those <laughs> those guys cannot aim. <laughs> yeah, that was but he's got Bond. cool gadgets. He's got like a bulletproof umbrella. And I, I love the gadgets in this film. Oh, they're they like can hit the umbrella. They Bond just can't gadgets. hit him when he takes it takes it down. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, but yeah, Eggsy succeeds. The villains well, are killed. Yeah, he, he he stabs Samuel L. Jackson, and I I wish the vomit thing had played off a bit better, because because it is just he gets stabbed through the chest. He looks down, he sees blood, he throws up, he dies, and it it should have been something more elaborate. It should have been like he's stood on the edge of like the precipice of a a, a cliff. And he's hmm. like about to lose balance. And he's he's just about to regain balance. Sorry. And then he looks down, sees the blood, and the vomit like projects him off hmm. the edge or something. It should have just. <laughs> it just felt like it needed to be a little bit more important than it was because they'd made mm-hmm. such a big thing of setting it up. I yeah, know. I think that would that would have really worked. Uh, as it is, I think I think it's a fine just running gag. It was fine. It just felt like a. It. A bit of an anticlimax, really. Mm. Mm. Um, and and so then we have a really uncomfortable uh, bit with Eggsy and the princess. Uh, I guess we have it before this, but also at the end, where he basically says, "Like, I'll I'll let you out of this capture, this confinement, in return for sexual favors." No, he doesn't. He says he wants to. He wants a kiss. He, he says, says if, "Give if me I a kiss, or like I won't it. let you out." No, um, he says, "Can I have a kiss if I save you?" I've always wanted to kiss a princess, and then she says, "You can do me up the bum." Yeah, like what was that about? <laughs> it, it, well, the thing is, the way he goes, "Oh well, if I let you out, you're going to give me a kiss." It's supposed to be kind of playful. It just doesn't work. It just comes and across, then, as and a then to kind of try and get a knobhead. Yeah, it it's does, like now is not like the time. It, it could work, perhaps, if a different character. Maybe else. I, I think it would have worked better on if, paper. If she'd it probably said, seemed okay. "Fuck off, you creepy little shit," and then he'd like gone to let her out, and then she was like, "Right, well." Do you want to do me in the bum then? But even that, like, it just—I don't well, know. Why, why, it's just such. Why would a... that have worked better? Because <laughs> he's not as creepy and oh, I don't know. To be, it wouldn't work. He's just—he's asking for an innocent. He's like being like Super Mario. It's just he just wants to. Have a now is not the time and... to be. <laughs> yeah, it's just really inappropriate timing because she's scared for her life. Exactly. Um, she knows that there's some a bad guy plotting to destroy the population of the world. He's abusing a position of power. And (laughs) she's offering it to him. She's not like. Oh no! Yeah, by the end, she she could just accept a kiss. Yeah, fine, do that, and then I'll. No, but he. he, But he. he, She says, "Let me out," and he goes, "If I if I get you out of here, will you give me a kiss?" She doesn't know. If she says no, for all she knows, he's going to go right. Well, fuck you then, and walk off. So 
she's in a position oh, where... Oh, come she... on. <laughs> he does it playfully. It's, it's See, fine. I, think, I knew you I think read it's... so much into this no, as well. I mean, I must admit, Calvin, I agree. I think it's supposed to be playful and it doesn't really work. And it just I think it creepy. feels the fact very that then dated she then goes... in a way that might have played in one of the old James Bond films yeah. that they're aping, but doesn't play in this day and age and, and just comes across a bit... Unpleasantly, and, the, and, and the fact and that then she, the, the she then goes, she's like, "Oh, why right. don't you do me up the butt?" That's just and then pure. It's, yeah, it was really weird. It's <laughs> like, not, again, it's not clever sort of or tonal... funny. It's not like, "Well, hey, well done, XZ. Go have your it, anal it, sex." It's just, it's just really, like, say, infantile. I thought it just. It's supposed to be, how I take it, is it's supposed to be a play on how these old Bond movies would end, because they, you would never actually see Bond in the middle of sex with a woman. It's always just him sort of lying with a duvet over him and a woman. He's not on top of her, she's not on top of him, they're just sort of kissing. And it's it's all quite tame. And this is supposed to be full on, you know, you can do me up the bum, we see the bum. Uh, that, see, what, that's how what, I took it. Well, how it should have been, it was like... He lets he lets he goes to rescue her. He lets her out. She's like, "Oh my god, have you saved the world?" Like, "Yeah, yeah." And then she's like, "Oh, how can we ever repay you?" And he's like, "Oh no, it's just all part of the job." And then she goes, "No, I really want to repay you." And then she sort of like takes that active role and sort of drags him in. And then he kind of like winks to camera as he shuts the door behind them. That's she does that take would an have been fine. Role. Yeah, know, but, but it's, it's, it's just it's weird. Plus, she still instigates it. I don't understand what plus the problem her is. active role because is to go. It's, forget the kiss, shove it up my ass. It's, that's not a, a typical thing that women do, actually, Calvin. <laughs> what are you talking about? What typical thing you that women to, do? You have to I'm talk them into it. it you have to grind them down over oh, several God's weeks. Sake, you're talking about realism <laughs> at this point in the film. We're just about to see a load of people's heads explode in colourful. Yeah, well, we didn't smoke. like that departure like that. from the tonal reality either, as we've established. I knew you were just going to harp on about this. For <laughs> so I guess we all sort of liked, well, apart from Saul. Well, me and Alan liked it. I liked well, it. Well, Alan liked it a bit. Oh, really? oh, okay. I liked it. I just, you know, in spite of some issues that I have with it. Anyway, should we get some pictures? Yes. Uh, can I? Can I do mine? I'll, I'll... Yeah, go for it. All right. So. I I have been inspired by uh, Calvin's pitch from our Bourne movie episode, oh, which was inspired okay. by Kingsman JB <laughs> versus JB um, versus JB. Yes. So Harry Hart is back from the dead, uh, using whatever excuse Kingsman Two is using. Um, so he reports into Kingsman. He, he goes into the library and looks around. Dials a number on the phone, and it, it's uh, he's uh, sent down a pneumatic tube to an even more secret agency below <laughs> the uh, Kingsman agency, the hallowed halls of H. And uh, <laughs> what does, the hallowed halls of H? Yes, from steps. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, okay. he. He didn't look around properly, though, did he? Because uh, it's only Eggsy watching. Uh, uh. Sneaking in behind him. And so Harry Hart, he, he sits down, he meets with Holly Hunter and Harry Hill. <laughs> and uh, they brief him on the situation with the, the president of the organisation, uh, one Herbert Hoover. <laughs> uh, right. And, uh, and just then, 
Eggsy knocks something over, giving away that he's, you know, come down here and he wasn't meant to. And Harry Hill is about to kill him with a sword to the throat, but Harry Hart stops him. Uh, no, look, <laughs> l- look, you can't. He's not an HH. Eggsy, sign Eggsy. this. Uh, yeah, and, and he, he gives him a thing to sign. He signs it. Now he is. And it turns out that Harry Hart had known that Eggsy was a liability, so he had legally drawn up some documentation to change his name to Harry Hunwin uh, a few <laughs> months ago, Hegsy to, to his friends. <laughs> so uh, they brief Hegsy on the hallowed halls of H, uh, an organization bankrolled by the combined forces of Howard Hughes and Hugh Hefner to <laughs> maintain order amongst those with alliterating names beginning with H. <laughs> And uh, it turns out that two rogue double H's, Heinrich Himmler and H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, are believed to be working together on a new plan to build mm-hmm. murder hotels that will be... Who, wait, wait, who's H.H. H. Holmes? I don't know who that is. He, he was an um, infamous serial killer and he built a big elaborate hotel and he kept firing the architect halfway through uh, the job so that he was the only person completely aware of the building's layout. So he had loads of secret passages and things built into it, and essentially mm. it meant that he could uh, go into people's rooms at night without being detected and put them in his little mm. murder dungeons and stuff, and he, he killed a huge number of people in the process. Um, huh. He's quite an interesting character. Anyway, hmm. uh so yeah, it turns out that two rogue double H's, Heinrich Himmler and H.H. H. Holmes, are believed to be working together on a new plan to build murder hotels that will be deployed once their new army of uh, the alt-right that they're building reaches its peak. Can um, I ask a, a question? Yes. First of all, H.H. H. Holmes is a triple H. Um, well, don't, like don't the... get ahead of the plot. Oh, right, okay. Oh. Okay. Um, it says, I just looked him up on Wikipedia because I didn't know he was. It says his real name is Herman Webster Mudgett. Is that going to be part of the plot as well? Or is it just... <laughs> yeah, no, that's. that's oh, okay. I didn't know he had Okay. That. That's a famous name, counts. That's fine. That. Yeah, it's a stage name. Um, now, H.H. Holmes is revealed to be 150% as powerful as the other members of their clan. <laughs> due to the extra H in his name, which makes him a formidable foe. And uh, so Harry Hart and co. need to assemble a crack team of double H's to defeat them. So firstly, they, they need a gadget man to, uh, to, to stock up for the mission, the mission, their Q. Hank Hill shows them a selection of <laughs> propane-powered <laughs> gadgets and accessories. <laughs> and... Uh, then then they need to assemble their team, so they need a, a ghost, uh, someone who can get in and out without being detected, uh, in and out of anything. So we cut Harry to Houdini. A, yes. Yes, I got one. We, uh, we cut to a magic show. There's a man in a straight jacket inside a tank of water, and he disappears below stage. He falls through a trap door to Colin Firth and co. stood waiting Harry Houdini. Uh now next, they need the brains of the operation. A scholar. You, you could take a stab at this, but I don't think you'll get it. <laughs> Helen Hunt. 
No. <laughs> the brains of the operation. Uh, so, Henry Higgins is uh, Henry finishing Higgins. up performing Why Can't the English? And then he turns the corner and Colin's there. Uh, you really care about your country, Henry? We need you. And uh, now we need the muscle. So, we're at a cabin holiday home and John Lithgow's there. Chewing the scenery, as always. <laughs> this is a good one, this. Uh, there's a big man stood in the room with a lampshade on his head, pretending to be a lamp. We need all of you, George. I I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, if you don't all help out, then it isn't Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and uh, George, his family, and Harry, who was pretending to be a lamp, join the crew. So, so Hulk Hogan isn't the muscle then? No, okay. Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. Uh, Hexy asks if they're done in the woods outside. Nearly, Hexy. And uh, just then, an evil laugh sounds, and a horse rides through the darkness towards them. Oh Headless my horseman. god! Yeah, it's a decapitated body, and it lifts its severed head. Christopher Walken's severed head. <laughs> uh, and his creepy eyes open wide. Headless horseman, we need you. So, <laughs> so they go to the evil bad guy base where they're confronted with their first boss henchman, Hulk Hogan. So he's on the other team, he's a bad guy. Yay, he's in the... Who, uh, who it turns out... He's a bad guy? Yeah, because it turns out they're blackmailing him into doing their bidding with a selection of sex tapes. Uh, and they they explain in great self-indulgent detail they got them from Spectre in in, uh, 1963 (laughs) now Hexy carries on talking oh uh, did you ever did you ever see that uh, Bond movie they they say like oh that's just like from Russia with Love and then Hexy goes oh yeah did you ever see that James Bond movie JB versus JB it was proper shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and uh, then they carry on and uh, move on to the next bunch of bad guys uh, they fight, there's a load of cool action stuff uh, they beat Himmler and H.H. Holmes, he's built secret passageways into all of the lair so he proves more elusive think we'd go down so easily, he shouts over the intercom I have a surprise up my sleeve and uh, he hits a red button and an alarm sounds and something's being released. The Hounds oh of God. Hell. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 Is no. it? No. <laughs> any, any other ideas? Uh, Triple H? The ultimate, the ultimate H weapon. HH weapon. The H bomb. The Hulk? Ooh, what, the hidden credible Hulk? <laughs> so, Horrid Henry... Springs into battle uh, with a slingshot and stink bombs and a load of other shit that he stole from Dennis the Menace. He proves a formidable foe, uh, grabbing the horseman's head and kicking it off the cliff like a football, uh, causing the uh, the horse to uh, ride blinded into the the Henderson's family and and uh, off the cliff too, taking them all out except for John Lithgow. They they see a rocket being launched and 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 split off. This time, sending Hexy to stop it from triggering the hotel murder protocol through its satellite, leaving everyone else to fight more waves of henchmen. Uh, Hank Hill, who's now on the plane, 
he's the only one left to to take on Holmes and, and rushes after him. Uh, eventually, he corners him, but Holmes has a flamethrower, and he shoots it at Hank, but the thing fails to to light and fire properly. Gasoline. It's not propane. <laughs> ha! You need to use propane. <laughs> And uh, he throws a propane bomb at Holmes and runs for cover using the techniques he learned playing American football in his youth. <laughs> and the day is saved, but on the way out of the compound, they run into uh, Iggy, Iggy Azalea, or whatever she's called, oh. who's, who's been in the plane. You may have won this battle, but the war has just begun, she says, as a helicopter emblazoned with the initials I.I. flies above them picking her up and mm. carrying her to safety and that sets up the sequel of uh HH versus I I I mean I I I don't I don't want to be uh, <laughs> I don't want to completely ruin your thought or anything but uh, do you know how to spell Iggy Azalea? No. <laughs> well, Azalea starts with an A. <laughs> oh no. All right. Uh, uh, oh there aren't any other ones with I are there. Well, if you know a celebrity with a literary of initials, <laughs> I.I., please it's call in on 07246. Celebrity, uh, historical figure, fictional character. Any, anything. I'll take really anything. Class as a name. I mean, we, we accepted Headless Horseman, so. <laughs> <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> Mark, well, I, I complained a bit about the lack of good female characters in Kingsman and this looks to be somewhat rectified in the next one they've got Julianne Moore and Halle Berry Queen's women oh damn it yes <laughs> inspired by the recent news that the Hollywood is remaking Expender Lord of Bells. the Rings but with uh, an all female cast Expender Bells that's quite good actually <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sneak past that me. is actually really good. <laughs> I think that's that's what they're calling it, isn't it? They're making a female oh. Expendables. I, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm, I thought you'd just come up with that off the top no, of your I'm head. I'm afraid I. Uh, I oh, okay, I take... uh, that's pretty good. Anyway, none of this is relevant to my pitch. Okay, well, well, it is kind of. I suppose. What about anyway, Lord uh, of the Flies? Let's talk about that. I think you said Lord of the Rings, <laughs> there, Calvin. But Lord of. <laughs> Did I say Lord of the Rings? Yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, I meant Lord of the Flies. Sorry, the the news that Hollywood are remaking Lord of the Flies, but with an all-female cast. I would like to remake Kingsman, but with an all-women cast. Oh, you're going to get um, a lot of flack for that. Yeah. Because no. number one, not my Ghostbusters, all right? Number two, Kingsman <clears throat> is an inherently masculine critique about men. <laughs> well, let's, so. well let's, let's not judge too soon. Let's see how he's going to address it. Presumably taking on the... The years of uh, female so, uh, matriarchy that has been so spermsy so. is uh, <laughs> <laughs> is a, a chabby uh, little well, girl. Basically, I want to do it exactly the same, except at the end, it's Swedish prince that tells the woman that uh, she can do him with a strap on, <laughs> and that's that's it. <laughs> Does he use the term pegging, or is that too niche for... <laughs> we, no, you can do that. We have to... I think that's... Um, we, we, <laughs> we have to address other issues in the film that would change if you were making them into women. Nah, that's the only one. <laughs> so, Alan, what's your uh, pitch for a Kingsman sequel? Uh, okay. 
if we're doing this as a direct sequel to Kingsman, so what actually happens at the end of Kingsman, uh, they they trigger the electrical um, bomb thing, whatever it is, in everyone's heads, and so kill... Bitch day afternoon. Yeah. Uh, and then... <laughs> and then... What, uh, it's a female dog? Yeah, we got, yes. we got it. Uh, so... Merlin triggers all the implants, so all these people die, and this is a, we know this is a huge proportion of like the leaders of the world and important people that are just taken out just like that, boom. So obviously that's going to have like a, a, an impact on the the world, and so that's what the sequel will be dealing with, uh, because like you know the economy would collapse and you know be civil unrest everywhere because like leaders and royal families have been torn apart and and all that sort of thing. So. I'm going to set up my villain, first of all, okay? Hmm. So, uh, from all this unrest, uh, an unlikely leader starts to sort of crop up. There's a man named Zachariah, uh, who is from an Amish background. And uh, he sees the recent events as a message from God, warning against Hmm. the dangers of globalization and modern technology. Of course, because, you know, that's what it was all about. Um, Hmm. Now... I haven't done a lot of research into the Amish, uh, so I'm really just basing this on the pop culture references of Amish. Uh, but I think that's okay because they won't see it. Uh, because obviously <laughs> they're not allowed to watch it. And even if they do hear about it, they'll just turn the other cheek anyway. So uh, I don't think we need to we need to worry about that. So, um, <laughs> so Zachariah here, he's just like a small community leader. But for whatever reason, in this sort of post-unrest uh, world, he starts to get this mainstream attention. And everyone's look. Everyone's searching for something new, a new way of life, and he he manages to provide it. Uh, so he's got this Amish-influenced ideas of a kind of small community living uh, that starts to attract a lot of people, um, and uh, it eventually sort of starts spiraling out of control. Blah blah blah, and eventually gets a lust for power, uh, and so that's when he sort of starts to turn evil. And now, as a as a kind of Bond villain type thing. He, he can have a cool henchman. And so instead of having the uh, like the legs that are blades, because he's Amish, so his Amish henchman can be like, he's just got like, instead of an arm, he's got like a huge wooden club or something. <laughs> that he just sort of like smacks people with. Okay, so that's the villain. We'll sort of intersperse all this story, like setting that up. But then also have to deal with the Kingsmen and their rebuilding. So... Um, uh, you know, in that first film, we see that Merlin takes charge and takes Lancelot and Eggsy um, to uh, to deal with the, the bad guy. It doesn't take any other Kingsmen, so I think we have to assume that they were all killed uh, because they were in with Arthur and they'd been turned and so they were killed at some point, or at least they couldn't be trusted, whatever. So it's basically just the three of them now and they have to rebuild... The, the whole thing, uh, they decide to uh, rebuild it. But because, so, but because you know, the, these two agencies got there, they're young people, they're much more liberal-minded than their kind of old-fashioned forebears. And so they want to bring the Kingsmen into the 21st century. So first thing they do, they rebrand themselves as the King's people. Uh, and instead of using um, the Knights of the Round Table as their code names. They want to take their names from a source that represents a much more utopian idea, uh, Star Trek. So um, Merlin becomes Spock. Uh, Eggsy is Chekhov. Um, And then they suggest Lancelot should be Uhura, but uh, she doesn't, she thinks it's sexist if they insist she's the female character. Uh, Can they get given triples? 
no. as part of their training. <laughs> oh yeah, they have to raise a triple from. Uh, yeah. From, <laughs> Uh, so she she thinks it's sexist to suggest that she would have to be the female uh, code name, and anyway it'd be whitewashing, so uh, she can't be Uhura. Uh, so instead she becomes Sulu. Okay, so the rest of the film is just it's still whitewashing. Uh, is that yeah, a joke? It's, well, it's uh, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. That's the, that's the. I mean, it's a philosophy that we're sort of half sticking to. It's fine. Uh, so then they have to find all their other recruits and things to fill up the team. Uh, most importantly, of course, they have to find a Kirk. Um, and so what he does, uh, what they do is that Merlin Spock, he um, he finds this guy who used to be an agent and then retired. Uh, and they sort of, they go, oh yeah, he's very good. He's, we're going to bring him back into the fold. He can be our new leader. Uh, and he will be played by Daniel Craig. In a in a in a kind of fuck you Bond kind of role, <laughs> he's he's finally just <laughs> sick of it, so he's going to start taking the piss out of it. Anyway, so yeah, blah blah blah, plot plot. They they end up, you know, they fight. They end up have to have this big confrontation with this guy who is preaching ideas of communism and non individualism, and we can't have that. So the big twist, though, as they approach for the big final battle, when they get there. Zachariah, the, the villain, he set up this kind of electromagnetic distortion field that means their electronic equipment doesn't work. And so mm. that's the kind of nice little gimmicky twist for the end. It, it has to be in like a non-technological fight and it, that throws them into curse. They have to kind of relearn everything they know and uh, come up with a new plan. And the new plan is basically punch everything uh, the good old, the good old-fashioned way. They'll just plow through everything with their fists, and so then you can have a big showdown where Kirk and Chekhov, uh, they fight a load of Amish people, and so like all the all the goons are just Amish people. That'd be funny um, if they can incorporate Amish type things. I would love like that. Boogies, like pitchforks and butter, barns. butter churns or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and so uh, yeah, that's it. They fight them. Eventually, they get to Zachariah, they, they, they make the final villain. They manage to stop him by making him examine the actions he's taken. Uh, and he realizes that he's been taken over by pride, which is a terrible sin for the Amish. And so ashamed, he decides to submit himself to God's will for punishment. He decides he's going to jump off a building. Uh, and if God wants him to survive and approves of what he's doing, he'll find some way to save him. Um, and of course he just smashes into the ground and uh, I think that'd be a nice point for him to turn into like a giant firework uh, that goes off with a synchronized musical score um, <laughs> and then of course when that happens all his followers see this as a, a, an act of God as it completely Great. defies all known earthly laws uh, and um, that convinces them to continue fighting and so then they have to murder them all uh, the end hmm. ah, the, the ending is great. the, the uh, massacring of all Amish people. <laughs> well, that was that was good fun. Uh, good, good spirited discussion followed by interesting takes on sequels. Classic diminishing returns. <laughs> <sighs> shall we? Um, shall we stop it there? <laughs> Let's just get out while we still can. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Diminishing Returns, and please do check out our website, dimreturns.com, for more reviews, hints of upcoming episodes, and our combined top 100 movies list. You might be very surprised with what is currently at number one. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already, and leave us a positive review if you can spare the time so that more people like yourself can find and enjoy the show. Thanks again for listening, and remember, podcasts maketh man.